title of the message is The Walk That It May Go Well. That It May Go Well. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, asking that you would bring to life these words today. Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts and that we would see our responsibility and that we would encourage, Lord, others and we would ourselves keep the, this promise so that we may have an enjoyable and long life and, Father, that we may prosper and do well in this life that is set before us. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. So there are five truths that Scripture teaches us uh, about children. And the number one is they are a heritage of the Lord. That they belong to the Lord. And number two then is that they are on loan to us for a short time. Uh, even if it is a lengthy life for us as parents into our 80s, 90s, 100s. <laughs> I, my uh, granddaughter was telling me that, you know, reminding me I was old. And, uh, but she said, uh, and I go, oh, I'm sad about that. And she said, well, at least you're not 100. And I said, yeah, so that's true. <laughs> at least I'm not 100. The number three principle uh, we're taught in Scripture about uh, children is that they are flawed from conception. Doesn't take us long to see um, them uh, not want to share, uh, be harmful, scream, uh, throw tantrums, <laughs> and we we learn there's a problem here. Uh, the number four thing then is that they, like we, are in need of the law of God. They need the law of God. And then number five is that salvation comes by grace through faith to them. So everything that is true for us as, as parents is, is, is true for them as children. Now the crisis of identity that, that we are now seeing in our world in an epidemic is, is largely the result of generations not being taught those five truths. And what we have is, is really generations of people who are not schooled in the Word of God and have no passion to teach it to others, who are not obedient to the Word of God and have a passion to share it with others. I grew up in an era where we went to Sunday school, but I had many friends who did not, and it was not a priority or a value of their life or their family. And because it was a value for me to learn and to dig in deep into God's Word, it has been helpful to me in sharing how life works with my children and instructing them. When a young person knows that they are in, uh, intricately fashioned in the womb of their mother and assigned a gender by God Himself, when he, she understands that his, her DNA is established by a Creator God, 
when he or she understands that her and his or his life is sustained by that same Creator, and that the entire universe is under the jurisdiction of God, who has purposefully made them. And this is a vastly different view of the world and perspective on life than the alternatives that are prevalent in our culture right now. And it is up to you and I as parents to instill this in them. God did not make a mistake when he created you, you. When he created a male, male, or a female, female. God did not make a mistake. He assigned to you with with his forethought, with his love, with his integrity of who he is, and his character to be who he has designed you to be. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul's exhorting Timothy that in the last days, and he's, you know, he's going to see some things, and he says to him, he says, you know, I want you to know, Timothy, to make sure that you continue in the things that you have learned and that you become convinced of them, knowing those from whom you learned them, and how the, in, in your infancy, from your infancy, you were known the, the, the sacred scriptures were implanted in you. And uh, he goes on to say, which are able to make you wise through faith in Jesus Christ. Wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, these things were instilled in you by your parents. These things that were planted in you and taught to you, that you were raised up, are going to lead you to salvation. They're going to lead you to making Jesus Lord and leader over your life. You're going to follow these commands, live by these principles, and life will go well for you. I said we had titled the message that life it may go well, that it may go well. And yet I'm talking to people in the room and online for which life has not been going very well. Maybe on the front of parenting. It's been a struggle and a challenge as as a parent. There has been one fight after another, and you're coming to a realization that things that needed to be instilled from the Word of God early in the life of the child were not and it's difficult to make up for lost time. Maybe it's on the other side of of those who are children who have rebelled against their parents and fractured families that have have happened as a result of that. And you're, you're knowledgeable about how not honoring mother and father has had consequences that are deep and abiding in your family. There are a number of of grown children, as I said, present and online who are experiencing this and that life has not been going well. And so what we're talking about today is an opportunity for us to course correct and that life can again go well as God intended. As we read or I read just moments ago in verse four, let me say it again this way where we can understand the twofold understanding of this particular passage. First of all, It is the duty of parents to raise their children 
or if it is the duty of parents to raise their children in love and obey God, it is equally the duty of children to obey and honor their parents. Twofold teaching that's taking place here. J.B. Phillips paraphrases it this way. Children, the right thing for you is to do, uh, to do is to obey your parents as those whom the Lord has set over you. Why is this the right thing? We have all become experts in turning the commandments of God into the rules of man. And we do so because if we turn the commandments of God into rules of men, if we, if we make them dogma rather than actual doctrine, and, and, and if we make them into just, uh, you know, we, there's always a loophole for a rule, right? You know, and, and we find the loophole. We're good lawyers. <laughs> we find the loophole and we take ourselves to court and, and we are able to excuse or disregard the commandment because we've made it man's rules. But this is a commandment that God has laid out and it says, honor your father and mother. It's not open for debate. It is a command. Look at the next section of that passage. It says, which is the first commandment with promise. This is often us. Well, the rule is <laughs> that we should obey our parents, but only if they demonstrate that they are worthy of being obeyed. Right? That's our loophole. As soon as you're not acting as if you should be worthy of me obeying you, then I don't have to obey you. That's not the way we respond to a command. This is a commandment, and we do it regardless. The good news in this commandment, and there's some really good news here, is there's an incentive to do right, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life. This commandment has a promise attached to it, two, if you will, that uh, as we break it down, that you can enjoy long life, uh, and, and that life will go well for you. And uh, so, it's one thing for us to live long and be miserable. It's quite another for us to live long and prosper. You see what I did there? <laughs> Do you see what I did there? <laughs> There's a lot of people that are living long lives but not prospering. God has set it in order. His commands, if we keep them, are meant to we might have life and prosper in it, that we might do well in life. Does that mean you're going to be extremely wealthy? Well, maybe not. But it means that your life will prosper. You will have the sense of peace and rest in the decisions that you're making day by day. You will have a place always. God provides for you and takes care of you. David said it. When I was old... You know, uh, I said, I, when I was young, he said, now I'm old. I've never seen God's righteous forsaken or I've never seen God's seed out begging for bread somewhere. God always takes care of those who love him and obey him. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So I want to talk to you today about how it is right, this passage, in three ways for us to do it, both as parents uh, in the sense of instilling instruction and communicating the truth of Scripture, digging deep into God's Word, 
so that we can, we can rightfully hand off and pass down what God's taught in His Word to our children, but also for children to obey your parents and honor them. Number one, it's in the natural order of things. It's in the natural order of things. The right thing to do is to obey your parents. It's in the natural order of things. What do I mean by that? Well, when Paul was teaching the church in Rome, uh, he established in the early part of his letter uh, that the fact that the whole world is accountable before God. And uh, he, he deals with the question of the fallen world there. And, and he deals with it in the relationship, particularly the privilege of God's own people, the Jews, and, and concerning uh, the law of God and them keeping the law of God and how it keeps them aligned and straight with what God has in, in store for them. But he also deals with it in terms of the relationship of Gentiles, and this is where the natural law comes in mind, whom he says did not have the law of God. So how do they know how to do right? Well, in chapter 2, he points out that although they did not have the law of God by way of revelation, they had what he refers to essentially as natural law, that fashioned in the image of God, there is a law, and he says that it is implanted within their own conscience, and it testifies to them. It's literally written into their DNA to know right from wrong, to know that it's a, not a good deal to murder or steal, or lie. It's, it is written in to their code. And so that is the sense of, of, of the natural law, which it underpins, at least in Western democracies, the nature of jurisprudence and civil law itself. It is there because not everybody was a Christian, not everybody was a believer, not everybody was a follower of, of God and God's Word, but it was written in them that this is a good thing. So Paul is, is sufficient for people to be able, he says, to respond to an exhortation like this and find their conscience says with inside of them as they are responding to a command like this, you know? It's actually the right thing to do. I should obey and honor my parents. Even though they didn't read it here, and even though they didn't believe it here, natural law teaches them this is the right thing to do. They feel bad when they're not doing it. They feel a sense of guilt and, and, and a sense of, of having done wrong, that they've hurt their parents, that they've, they've done some damage here. And as you read in history, or you do work in anthropology at a university, or you fashion yourself a sociologist of some kind, you, you know from the reading that virtually all civilizations have regarded parental authority and its exercise as indispensable and foundational to a stable society. And so that whether it's Confucius, whether it's Japan, whether it's the sub-Saharan African, uh, whether it's Western democracy, if you read and think, you realize that man recognizes that when that link is broken between child and parent, in terms of what is the natural order of things, the stability of that culture begins to unravel. And we've seen it now for decades. And you don't have to be a, a genius 
as you sit here listening to me, <laughs> to say, well, now, that, that would explain quite a lot about uh, what we're experiencing right now in the 21st century in America. An explanation that people do not want expressed because they're going to be held to account for it. It's not on the nightly news. They're not talking about this is the problem with the world and this is why. Because there has been an undermining of the family and an unplugging from uh, the, the, the order of how God has set things to be and that God's word has been torn out from, from society and ripped out uh, from, from the school systems and every other way. They are not going to do it because then they would be held accountable for the actions. And so it is then right according to natural order of things. But secondly, it tells us that it is right in God's word in accordance with God's law. And that is what uh, Paul is doing here. He's referencing in this passage the Ten Commandments. It's right according to God's law. So it's right, yes, it's, it's, it's part of the natural law. It's, it's written on us. We know it's the right thing to do, but it's also right because it is God's command. And what we have here in the Ten Commandments really is, is a summary of the way life is meant to be lived. God says when you live it the way I laid it out, it works. Now, you can choose differently, but if you do, life is not going to go well for you. It is so quiet in here. <laughs> a summary of the way uh, of uh, life is meant to be lived is what the commandments are for us. God says, you know, this is how it works. And this is how the program goes. And if you don't follow this, it's not going to work and it's not going to go well. He's reminding them in the context when, when God speaks to his people through his servant Moses, he gives to those people his law. And he, and he does so in a way that it, it establishes him as a unique group in context with the, the, the panorama of, of what is going on in other nations, uh, other ideas and concepts and lifestyles. This is the way it really works. Go and live it out and show the rest of the world. And he says to, to Moses, tell the people, you shall be holy even as I am holy. And I'm referencing now uh, what, what is talked about here, what we're reading, is the command, and I'm tying it back now to Leviticus chapter 19, where the commandments were given to Moses. And he says to them, tell them, you shall be holy even as I am holy. I want to say two things about this first. The, the, the first is the sense of impossibility, right? How in the world can I be holy? You know, uh, we can have holy jeans and holy shirts, but how in the world can we be holy like a holy God? The second thing that, that we think about when we, we hear this uh, instruction is that God isn't really interested in you being happy as much as he is you being holy. And in, in, in the current climate in which you and I are living right now, people have given, are worshiping at the altar of feelings. They want to feel happy. They want to feel accepted. They want to feel loved. And God is, is basically saying here, 
I'm not into, you know, I gave you feelings. All they're telling you is how you feel. They are telling you no truth about uh, the way things should be, about life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. They're not telling you anything except how you feel in that moment, right? But what I'm really interested in is you being holy. And he says, I am the only one can empower you to do that. Now, when you check, you're going to discover that the next thing after he says that I want you to be holy is he says, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Now, now what, would, what would it look like to be a holy child? I gave a lot of thought to this when I was young, and does that mean to dress a certain way? When I grew up, everybody was wearing three-piece suits. I thought, man, that would be it. I would be holy if I had a three-piece suit. If I had the vest, that would be a level above holy, right? So what is it? Is, is it to be dressed a certain way? Is it, is it the ability to see everyone else is doing wrong? I can tell you're doing wrong because I'm doing right. And I see wrong in your life. Is that what it means to be holy? I grew up around a culture of people that certain of them believed that had to do with the, the, your, your person, the way you presented yourself. If you wore too much makeup, if you're, you, know, you cut your hair, if you, you know, um, wore too much jewelry, whatever. A small segment, but a, a culture of people that you would run into from time to time, that that was their belief. Modernism. If you get engaged in modernism, did you get a TV? You shouldn't have a TV you know, did you, uh, there, was a, there was a lady who lived down the street from us when we were younger, came to our church. Now, my mom and dad did not believe this way. My dad did not preach this way. But she believed that modern conveniences, like washing machines, were showing that you were not holy. And so I would ride my bicycle by the front of her house, and she would have her laundry out, doing her laundry on a washboard. <laughs> because... While everyone else was getting a washing machine, you know, and a dryer. Is that what holiness looks like? How about uh, able to pray the King James Version? That should be holiness, right? <laughs> Thou, O Lord, knowest that we are an impure people. What does it mean to be holy? It's interesting here, isn't it, that I would contend that in looking at this passage in order, that he's just saying, if you're showing your obedience to your mom and dad, you're showing the world what holiness looks like. Amen? I, as a parent, I, I, there, were, there were several times where people went to the trouble to come to our table or come to our gathering, come to where our family was sitting and say, we've been watching you and your children and, and they're, they're so respectful and uh, they, they're so honoring to you and you guys are loving to them and and that's remarkable it was a testimony being lived out in public of what it means to have god first in your life and it was so you know you know so different from things that they had seen elsewhere you know where people are pitching a fit and screaming and kids are out of control and running all the place, that they went to the trouble. And I'm not saying that never happened in our family, right? But in these instances, it didn't. And it was so remarkable that they would go out of their way to come and say, that's different. That's remarkable. 
You see, the question is, how can a child love and obey a God whom they, that, that he or she has not seen if they don't love and obey the father and the mother whom they have seen? Paul is, is actually underscoring the fact that the child's obedience, love, respect for his parents' authority is his awareness that his parents' authority is divinely delegated. It was given by God. And the child is not uh, to, called to obey parent because the parent is a genius or because the parent has figured out everything, right? Or they are neither genius nor have they figured everything out. They are learning along the way. They are not called to obey parents because they are always do everything correctly because they don't always do everything correctly. Paul is saying that the reason that this is to take place within the Christian home is not because the parents are infallible, but because the Word of God is infallible. And every time they live this out, they proclaim the Word of God to be truth to a world who is struggling. God's Word does not fail. And that parent within the framework of the Christian home is in the place of God in the relationship to the children in their infancy. It is right by nature. It is right according to the law of God. And thirdly, it is right for the spiritual development of children. I used to use this passage against my dad, more the King James Version, you know, that uh, if he was frustrating me, you know, I would say, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know. And Dad always had an answer for that, but <laughs> spare not the rod, <laughs> spoil the child. So I, I never liked his answer. Here in this uh, version that we're reading out of the ESV, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Godly parents, a father and a mother, God gave a gift to train up your children so that Christ can be made known to them um, and, and they, can, they can know him intimately. But, you know, one of the challenges, I think, for parenting today is that in many instances, as parents, we're not being diligent about digging in and knowing the Word of God. And our laziness is allowing culture, it's allowing... Uh, public school systems, it's allowing their best friends to, to give them a worldview that is not God's worldview. The mother and the father are intended to be a complement to each other, developing the Christian worldview for the children. We never once, you know, said to our children, you know, we're going to raise you up and bring you to church, and then at one point or another, you're going to have to just make, you know, a decision. You know, when you get to be eight or nine or ten, you can make a choice as to whether you want to, you know, go to church or not go to church. I want to challenge every parent who's thought along that line to treat school the same way. Oh, you don't like English class? You know, okay. You know, you don't like history? You hate math? Okay. Well, you know, when you get to be nine or ten, you can choose whether you want to go to math class or English class. You're going to go to jail <laughs> if you're in the public school system. They're going to come get you, right? 
as parents and come get your kids. Why do we treat God's word any differently? Our kids never once growing up ask us, are we going to church this Sunday? Do we have to go to church? And listen, my kids went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We used to have revivals that would go Sunday through Sunday. And uh, during those times, they were at church all the time, right? Every night we're going to church for the, the revival meeting. They went to Sunday school. They went to, to all the classes that were in the trainings and the teachings. And not once did we have them come out and go, do I have to go? You know? Because we had raised them to know that this is valuable and important. And they loved the house of God. They wanted to be there first. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. There is no pastoral team that will be able to compensate for the absence of godly parents in the homes of children. Can I say that again? There, there is no pastoral team, no youth pastor, no pastor, no uh, Sunday school teachers that can compensate for the absence of godly parents in the home of children. What you do is so valuable. What you do, it, it, it supersedes uh, what anyone else can do in the life of your children, in molding and shaping them and training them to love and to know God's word. When I was a youth pastor, there was times when um, people who had not been to church for a very long season in their life, maybe they were raised in church, but they, you know, life went on and they had hobbies and things that were going on. And periodically, they would bring to our church their family. At daughter at the age of 13, I'm telling true stories here. A daughter or a son at the age of 15, Involved in drugs, climbing out the window and running away at night, rebellious to the parents, you know, um, just, just horrible things going on. And they were basically bringing them to us and saying, change this, fix this. They're already 13 years old. A lot of things are formed in them. Two young ladies that... Uh, I were along this line. I had taken all of our kids to a youth meeting and was keeping an eye on them, counting, watching, and uh, those two girls were missing. I drive down the street, you know, to see if I can find them. They were coming out of a 7-Eleven, and somehow they had conned the guy into selling them uh, some booze, and they had put it into 7-Up cans, you know, and this is... Uh, they were heading back to a youth meeting. <laughs> I don't know, they were going to hang out and wait for us to be done and jump on the van or something like that, you know. And I got those things and I emptied them out on the ground. I pulled those girls in. We had a conversation. I drove them to their houses. I got out and went in and talked to each of the parents and instructed and told them what had happened and that this is unacceptable uh, behavior. We love them. We want to see them change. And I prayed with them and prayed with their parents. This is real. This is real. And if we don't do our job as parents, we've set them up for a life that is going to be miserable. I can tell every one of them. I've, I've seen these, these, these pathways. Every one of them. The youth pastor is a senior pastor. 
sitting in the office uh, to counsel the, the train wreck that has happened afterwards. And, and I, can, I can tell them that life has not gone well because training and instruction in living a godly life is most effective through godly parents. Daily, our children are watching our lives to see how, you know, to see close up how we respond to adversity, how we're going to handle money, how we handle truth, how what we say matches what we actually do. And they learn from us how to worship, how to give, how to say and live out, I'm sorry. Because everyone in this room and those of you online know that just saying I'm sorry is meaningless. But living I'm sorry means everything. It heals broken marriages. It heals broken friendships and relationships. And we can teach that to our kids. We taught our kids that just saying I'm sorry is not enough. There has to be some action behind it. I'm inviting our, our worship team to come. We live in, in extremely difficult days as parents. It's the most difficult day by far that I am aware of for parents parenting. It is so challenging. There are so many different ways that uh, our, the, the attention of our children can be drawn out. There are so many people speaking into their lives through social media. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was different when I was a kid. You know, there was, I had a few friends that might be telling me something different. Uh, we did not have these phones that we walk around with and everybody could connect with us. You know, if, if I wasn't in the house standing next to the landline, you didn't get me, right? So I don't care what your philosophy of the world was or what you thought or what somebody else thought. I had no idea, right? And now our kids, you know, moment by moment are plugged in to people who are, don't care about God's word. They, they are in complete rebellion against the kingdom of God and God's plan for their life. They're in rebellion about their own identity and everything else. And they can connect with your child so many ways and so many times and speak into their lives and communicate everything they want to communicate. It is an unprecedented, challenging time for us to raise our children. But the one unchanging thing is the God that was on the throne when I was a kid is on the throne today. Amen. And he can overthrow every lie, and he can reveal to you. I've had parents come up to me and said, you know, God told me uh, that to, to watch my children that something was going on. And I went in and found out this and that and something else was going on. You know, that God speaks to you, parents. He loves you, and he doesn't want you living in darkness. I'll tell you something else as a, as, as a way of encouragement to parenting. Michelle and I, our kids, you know, they didn't have private rooms. They didn't lock their doors and stuff like that, because that was my house, right? <laughs> and so, you know, their, their bed was my bed. <laughs> their, the, you know, the, the, the drawers that they used, the closet, everything was mine. So I didn't, every, periodically, I just go through the stuff, just find out what's going on in their world. I give you permission to do that. Because Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? I don't have any reason not to trust my kids. Go dig through their room, and I'm going to give you some reasons. 
Go check their computer log and, and all of that. I'll give you plenty of reasons to, to worry about them. You worry about you too, because our hearts are getting led astray. Be concerned and be focused and give our attention wholly and wholeheartedly to God. We are in challenging times, but God made you for these times. He equipped you for these times. He planned for you to be here right now. You know, not, not, not back when my parents were parenting, but right now, because you are equipped for what God wants to do in our world right now. He loves you. He's planned for you. And he knows that great things are going to happen as a result of our submission to him. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want life to go well for you. I, I hate it when I'm sitting in my office and I'm hearing parents or children pour out these things about, you know, how life has just been going so horribly. And, it, and after a while, you know, the human, human side of it, I'm going, man, it's, you know, and in the beginning I'm thinking, well, maybe I can help with this and I can give some advice. And as the picture gets painted, it just seems so dark and so impossible. It reminds me again as a pastor, I got to lean into the one who is the light, who can change these circumstances and turn them around. One of the things that we often say is that you didn't get here overnight, you won't get out overnight, but if you will turn to God and begin to move in the direction he's leading you and guiding you, it will change. It will change. It's going to get better. I want to pray over every person in this room. God was, would deal with all of our hearts and call us to a place of surrender to his word and his commandments. That we're no longer going to make them rules, man's rules, but we're going to keep his commands and we're going to teach them to the generations around us. Father, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for those who are living it out and they're walking close with you. They're instilling these instructions in the hearts and lives of their children. And we have that promise, God, that Though they may venture off for a season, they can't get away from the Word of God. It is not null and void. It will not return null and void. It's, it's going to uh, penetrate their hearts, and you're going to bring them back home. And I've seen this over and over again, where prodigals have come home. Lord, and, and we're praying for that, for parents who may have children that are estranged spiritually, that you're bringing the prodigals home in Jesus' name. And God, we're praying over a special anointing over parents and grandparents here today uh, for the work that is set before them right now. In our culture, it's so challenging and so difficult that we would speak truth to the lies all around. And we would help people get set free. God didn't make a mistake. He loves you just as he created you. You have a divine plan and divine purpose. The enemy wants to confuse you and hurt you and drive you away from God and lead you to believe there's no help and no hope. But God cares about you. He loves you and he draws you to himself. And so we invite you, Lord, to do that work in our hearts, in our lives today. Mold us and shape us. As we sing together, as we're closing out, let's make this a place of surrender to him and his lordship over our lives.